All right, so we have been going through John 6. I'm still in the middle of John 6. I can't get out of the book. It's been a study now for me for, I think, four months. And there's so much in here, and I don't, I don't want to roll past anything too quickly. So let's get back into John 6. Let's redo our text from last week. It's verses 26 through 29. Starting in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, Notice your, their response. This is the cue of what people are picking up, the cue for what you're picking up. What's your response? It says, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I had a, I had a quote, James Montgomery Boyce is like a major commentary for me a lot of times, and, and Kent. Kent Hughes and, and quite a few. But James actually hit something that reverberated in my mind. It made me kind of think. He stated, he said, the human mind is always flattered when it, when it's, when it is conscious of doing something for God. That make sense? Let me say it again. The human mind is always flattered when it is conscious of doing something for God. Look what I did. Personal pronoun use, right? I did this, I did that, I did that. I think it's interesting, too, because man continually seeks some kind of thing that he can do. You look at people and they say, what can I do to be saved? In other words, what can I do? What is there that I need to do? What's the list? Give me the list. I'll check it off. I'll get her done. I'm saved. I see that a lot. Well, I read my, you know, I read my Bible. Check. You know, we go through the list. We flatter ourselves as far as that flattery goes. The question we always keep then asked is, what can I do? What is there that I can do? What is there in my human flesh that I can do to have this everlasting bread? That's really what they're, they're saying. They have no clue that they're missing the point. But we do the same thing. We miss the point. Jesus has declared to them in these verses that they have completely missed the spiritual signs of the miracle from the previous day. It's stated. Again, we see that they are only interested in the second feeding. Hey, what's their thinking? They have been searching long and hard to find Jesus, and here he is, and we're hungry. We want a king like this one. Boy, this is the kind of person we want. We want the supplier. This is great. Can you, can you imagine that? You're always going to have food. Go to the store. Don't have to pay. It's great. Never ending. Let's look at others. I, I like digging into other people with the same mindset. Get a different angle. You ever done that? You watch baseball? And a play is called and you don't like it and all the different camera angles and all of a sudden you look at the one that the ump called and you go, uh, yeah. 
I like going through Scripture and seeing the different angles that people use. Let's go to Matthew 19, 16. Again, it's, these are just things. We're going to go through things that we've probably studied, looked at often. But let's see if we can go down deeper and, and see if we've got these same temperament attitudes that where we're looking to see what can I do? What can I do for justification? So the beginning of, of the verse says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Does that sound like a familiar question? What works do we do? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? It's a good question. There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, that's an interesting statement. He, Jesus said to him and said, all right, let's, let's see what your response is. Are you going to go with the full look at what I did thing? Or is this guy literally going to come across and say, yeah, the commandments? Those are impossible to keep. I'm wretched. Well, let's see how he goes. Then he said to him, which ones? You're going, really serious? Okay, all right. Jesus goes, he gets, he's patient. He gets to this guy in the detail. He said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Response. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. And you and I are looking at it. Serious? You came off of that kind of a statement? You're missing it, bud. You're absolutely not even close. Funny thing is, how many people have you been around, maybe even yourself, and you've gone through a list like that and go, I'm okay. I won't divulge the name, but I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember in high school ministry at Grace, we were just having kind of a chat time or whatever, and a little cluster of kids were right near me, and I was in a conversation with someone else. You ever had that time where someone says something, and it's almost like they're the, it's like E.F. Hutton, you know, when it's everything. Everyone, it feels like everyone goes silent, and the only thing that you hear is what was just being stated. Well, they were having, and I don't know what the conversation was about. This one young lady, and she was a godly individual, and she was a great student, but she made a comment that kind of reverberated in my head, and kind of like, whoa. She just made the comment, she says, well, I haven't sinned that much today. Really. And I kind of looked in my own life and went, wow, I want to be able to say that one day, and said, I've got a short list. No, mine's just... It just reverberated. I went, really? I don't think that was the context. Okay, I hope it wasn't the context. But this man comes up and he says, yeah, I've kept, I've kept it all. What am I still lacking? What else should I do? I've checked off the list. I've done all these things. See, what he's evaluating is that external veneer. He's looking on the outside and going, well, I haven't stabbed anybody. I'm not in for murder. You remember what Jesus turned around and actually really helped us to understand the depth of that text? 
when he says, if you have anger in your heart, what has God already convicted you of? Murder. Maybe if Jesus asked the guys who you've ever been angry, I'd be interested to see what his response would have been. Oh, no, I love everybody. Mm. Okay, can you veneer that one? That's why a couple couple weeks ago or we were really saying examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Get past that veneer, veneer, get down deep, get through, do that deep scrubbing. This guy's looking on the outside. And it's interesting. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, and I think he thinks he's complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. What? That sounds like an external. Give a bigger thing to the church, you're in. That's not what Jesus is doing. Because now he's just bored right straight through in the middle of this guy's heart. What is he? The answer is, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he is one who owned much property. It's in the heart. Let me ask you this. We're really looking at something at this point. This issue is not in my giving, but in complete willingness to surrender my whole complete life to Jesus. We don't add something to our lives and get Jesus. We turn everything over to him of my life for life. Interesting statement. I, I, when I was young, I, I didn't understand it. Now, coming back, looking at it, I go, wow, that was wrong. Growing up, I grew up a uh, conservative Baptist, and our pastor, I loved him. Uh, took care of me, ministered to me. I remember between Sunday school and church, I'd spend time in his office, and he would just share the gospel. But I remember a statement my parents made one time, and it just didn't, you know, still kind of a newbie, I guess, and really talked about the fact that our pastor told somebody, you can still be Catholic and have Jesus. And I kind of went, wow, that's kind of nice. You can be this over here and have a little Jesus on the side and you're in. What's Jesus say? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Nothing else. I am the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father. But it's, that's an absolute. You don't add Jesus to anything. You don't mix the colors. It's hard to realize that this man stands before the Creator God and states clearly after the list of the commandments are given that he has done it all perfectly. He has been deluded to think that it is our actions that make us acceptable to the Holy God. He does not see the seriousness of his life before God nor his desperate need for a Savior. The wedding yesterday started out with a video by Paul Walsh. Washer? Paul Washer. Sorry, get it right. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And, and the key point that kept coming up is the fact that you and I are in desperate shape. And I like it where Paul started out with a, with a 
meeting with college students, and he was like, how do I make the statement? And he gets up there and he starts, he says, I want to share with you the most terrifying statement in the Bible. And the students are probably all like, what is this big thing? And he's, God is a good God. And he said the students were kind of laughing and kind of, when he's, I think he said one student said, you know, what's wrong with that? God's a good God. Consider the fact that God is a good God and we are not. What a contrast. What a scary situation to be in. He has no idea. This young man has no idea the seriousness of his sin, seriousness of his life. One sin destroys. Why do you think the statement says one bad apple destroys the whole bunch? It's, a, it's an infection. It's, it's rotting. It tears us apart. He has no clue. He thinks he can do something. We can be deluded to think that our actions present enough evidence of a right life to be in the presence of God. Not at all. All right, let's look at another one. I, I, I love looking at these people. Let's consider this, Matthew seven twenty one. I think ever since I hit this one, this one has just unearthed me all the time, continually. It reverberates in my head. And Jesus is talking here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Obedience to the Father. Obedience to God. Many. <laughs> kind of makes you think of that road, right? Two roads, narrow, wide. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? External. In your name, cast out demons, external. And in your name, perform many miracles, external. See, you've noticed one thing. There's nothing about what's going on and what's really in the heart of their life. It's all these actions and externals. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I've had absolutely no intimacy with you whatsoever. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Pretty sure these guys came up and said, but, 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 but. My wife and I were, were kind of watching. I kind of got in, not in the beginning. We were watching the original uh, Left Behind. Okay, these, realize these are fictional, but it brings home the point. I thought it was an interesting thing when the rapture occurs. Of course, we're on a plane when, we, when that occurs. But then, And it's interesting to see that the clothes are just there, left there, and the people are gone. That's how they kind of helped us to understand it's amazing, as you get a little bit further, they go to the church and the associate pastor is still at church. Absolutely devastated that here he was around it all the time. He even helped the head pastor create the video that showed later an explanation of what happened and what God was doing and why God did it. It hit my head again. It's like these guys here. But Lord, Lord. 
The associate pastor was in church, did church, went through seminary, went, did the mechanics, got everything, passed probably great grades. And yet, when the roll call of heaven came up, he was left there. Why? He had it here. It never reverberated down in the heart. It never made the change in the life. Again, remember, when Jesus pushes things to people, he's pushing to get the core out. Not for Jesus to see, for us to see. When you and I are pressed with things, the response that you make is based on what your heart is centered on. You centered on God. You centered on the Word. You're centering on His will. It shows in the pressure that gets hit. I love James. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let that endurance have its perfect, complete work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. What's the pressure do? It pops it up. Two reasons. One, to show where we are. Two, to show where we aren't. Cause us to keep growing. Cause us to make some changes. If anybody lacks wisdom, go to God to whom he gives all men without reproach. He's not picky. He's not divvying it out. He will freely give to us. But again, it's a deep examination of the heart. When God pushes us on things, it pops it up. The question, have you done all the commandments? Oh, yeah. What did you just see of the heart? He feels he can do it through physical means. These guys, in Matthew seven twenty one, my reverberation, what, look, what we did. When you and I stand before Jesus, it's not going to be what we did. I always love that, that question. If you did die tonight and go to heaven and Jesus would meet you in heaven and said, why should I let you in? Uh, that's a pressure point, and I like asking that because that helps me to see what the person thinks. Does the person say, well, you know, like the one responses I've had, well, my grandparents founded the church. (laughs) I went to church since I was born, and you're going, "Mm, good, I know there's a lot of you here probably. I know the Grinnells consider to literally say that. I was born here at church, you know, some clothes. We've had quite a few that are clothes, right? I've done this. The only thing I can do if I'm standing before Jesus is say, nothing. I've done nothing. It's all what you did, Jesus. It's all about what you did. It's nothing about me. I couldn't have come up to anything to make any effort to make any difference. Look at another one. Another came to Jesus at night. And maybe with a question, I've always studied this going, the guy comes to Jesus, I think he had a question in mind. He never got it out. Fine, he didn't need to get it out. It was probably useless. Jesus gets right to the point because he knew the heart of the man and he knew what he needed. John 3. Now there's a man of the Pharisees. Interesting. Again, good point this morning. Look at words. Name Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. All right, that key phrase right there. He's a Pharisee, a ruler of Jews. What's that modify it to be? Who is he now? What 
position does he carry? What group is he with besides being a Pharisee? He's a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the key phrase. So this guy is deep, 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 deep. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these, these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered to him, and you're going, wow, this is a shift. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Huh? Again, pressure. A little applied pressure on Nicodemus. Let's see what his thinking is. Here he is aware of the signs and knows the power of God, and only God himself can grant that power. And he's a very religious man. But the test is presented to Nicodemus by Jesus' statement is going to show if this man is going to translate this in his mind to be a spiritual point or a human point. He's a religious man, remember? He studied the scriptures inside and out. Is his life spiritual or fleshy? We read on verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Huh? Come on. You're serious. Jesus isn't going to... No. Of course not. He can't get past the physical world. He can't get past the flesh. He's trying to process a statement from Jesus as what he can do from a human perspective. Interesting. He missed it. He missed the point. Actually, I looked more and I studied this guy. His responses seemed to be, instead of being a, a, a man knowing God and supposedly in a relationship with God, his responses seemed to be pretty much more of a man who's a very Greek influence. Nicodemus is a Greek name. It's interesting. His response was physiological. His, his response had nothing to do with spiritual. He wasn't even thinking spirit. That wasn't the, what occurs in his life. It's not the natural response. First, let's clear the point that we are... Oops, sorry. In verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of, the, of water... And of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Let me just kind of clear up a quick point. I, I can't get in too deep with this. Love to. What are we referring to when we're talking about water? Well, we're not talking about water birth or the water of birth or the water of baptism. Those two, let's get off the list. Water by birth is, is out because Jesus has already assumed that he is talking to someone who is, has been born, and that's not the kind of terminology that they would have used. It's not an association. Baptism is also out because it's not part of the context of the chapter. This is not, and that would not be a natural translation for someone who's religious, a Pharisee, to have actually come to this point. The best way to look at what Jesus' statement is, it's the cleansing work of water and the empowering work of the Spirit. Remember that water is noted in Scripture being a metaphor for both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. This is what... Nicodemus would understand it to be. That's how he would translate. Jesus stated in John 15:3, "You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you." First Peter 
123, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. We see the cleansing work of the word and the life-giving breath of the spirit. It is not anything that man can do. All right, back to Nicodemus and John 3. Go back to start again with verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is anyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is making it very clear to Nicodemus that he was born first in the flesh, It stays that way, but the work of God of salvation requires a new birth, but not of the physical body. Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus that this work is done by the will of the Father, for it is the work of the Spirit to give new life. All right, let's go back to John 6, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, remember this, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. It's the work of God, not my work. Jesus is clear that there is nothing that we can do to be saved and have the bread of life but to believe on the one sent from heaven. How does that show up? Again, I want to look at other texts to kind of see how this reverberates. One that hit my head quick was the Philippian jailer. Remember that one? Paul and Silas arrested, beat, chained, imprisoned. (laughs) Again, look at Paul and Silas. They're pressurized. They're hit with hard stuff. They are beaten, imprisoned, chained. It's not comfy. Look at their response. Look at what comes out of their life. What's in their heart? Are they fleshy or spiritual? What's driving them? What's the deep part moving? So what are they doing? Praying, praising, singing. Wouldn't that be weird? You're the jailer. Your people have been beat and everything. You got them shackled, chained up, and you got a weird concert going on. Isn't that different? That's radically different. What are the other ones doing that have gone through that? Moaning, groaning, crying, complaining, cursing. Who knows? It's nothing like Paul and Silas. That's weird. <laughs> Pressure. What bubbles up? Praise to God. That's the core of their life. Acts 16:29. God sends an earthquake. This whole thing's gone. Gates are open. This prison is wide open. It's a mess. It's an escape option. <laughs> What's the jailer do? Like any old good Roman jailer, you're going to do. What are you going to do? Well, your prisoners are gone. What's the next event? You're going to die because you failed in your business. A little different than what we do today, right? 
He's about ready to kill himself. Paul says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're all still here. I love the guy's response. Verse, six, uh, verse 29, and he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, notice the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul's response, we'll go to church, read your Bible, memorize a whole bunch of stuff, at least be nice to ten people per week, you know, help the little old lady across the street kind of thing, right? No. That's not what Paul said. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your household. That's what Jesus told the crowd. The work of God is to believe in the one sent. The work of God is to believe. It is a gift from God, and in believing we know that we bring nothing to Jesus for an exchange, for we are filthy garments, not worthy of being in a holy God's presence. We bring our unrighteousness and exchange it for Jesus' righteousness, and this is all possible because of the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. Nothing. I don't get it. I don't get it where people actually can think there's something they can do to be saved. Those kind of people, and this may be rude. Uh, yes, it is rude. Those people I want to seriously look at and say, can you tell me how you saved yourself to go to heaven? I mean, that's a really rude question, but that's a real statement to sit there and say, what makes you think there's something about you and that you could do to be saved? The Bible says that you're dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. My son works for the medical examiner's office. Works with the gone people all the time. And he knows they're not going to get up and have an argument with him. Or debate anything. Or talk about the sports. They're gone. They're unresponsive. They can't. He could scream at them and they're Nothing. That's our state. So there is nothing a dead person can do. There's nothing you and I can do. It really helps us to understand the point. It's all about what God does and can do, not you. Now, if you want this really punchy, memorize this whole section. If you think you've got something in your list, you go, but I've, I, I've got something I think I can present to God that might be a pretty good claim. All right, well, let's go to Romans 3. You know, when my little haughty arrogant, my flattery of myself and something I can do for God pops up, this section of Scripture starts flowing through my head and shutting me down. I love what Paul does. I mean, I love it. Look at what he says. He says, there is none righteous. No, come right there. You're going, but, 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 but I'm on this other list over here. I know this is the unrighteous side of the list, but I'm really on the righteous side of the list because this, look at all the stuff that I'm Matthew 7:21. Look at what we have done. And Paul reiterates that even tighter. He says, not even one, none of us, none of, not you or anyone else. I think that's clear. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. Don't think you're out there in a big hunt. 
It hits my head again. I hate that bumper sticker. Jesus is my co-pilot. I'm in the back of the plane, folks. I'm a passenger. I'm not in that cockpit. (laughs) I want him flying. I want him to be the... Everything up in front, I'm not past that locked door. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. None. These are all inclusive words, you know, like never... Always, things that we really can't stand our kids saying. I always, you know, no, no. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving the poison of asps under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Hey, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You miss the mark, folks. I don't know if you've ever understood this this way, but take a look. It's like, a, it's like an archer. hope some of you have done archery. It's kind of fun. I love it. No matter how well you do it, you pull up, you do everything perfect, you got the right form, you got all the nice fancy accoutrements and everything, the balancing thing that's on your bow and all that kind of stuff, you pull it right back, you let her go, you think, mm, and you go, you're not even near the target. Of course, everyone in the back snickering. That's what it means to be fall short of the glory of God. You miss the mark. You miss the whole target. Not even near it. What's the only answer? We all know that the wages of sin is death. If we stop there, that would be depressing. But there's hope because of what Jesus did on the cross. The work of God for my life, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. Amplified Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we know it, but do we know it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Hmm. Sounds like a recurring theme here. It is the gift of God, not as a result of what? Works. So that no one may boast. Could you see what heaven would be like? (laughs) I thought of this one time. Most everybody out in their little false religions say there's something you can do. Can you see what it'd be, heaven would be like with all those folks there? Wow, you should have seen the thing that I did the other day. It was the greatest. That's what we hear in heaven all the time. Drive you absolutely insane. There's nothing you can do. There's no work. There's no action. The only thing, as Jesus said, the only work you can do is to believe in the one sent by the Father who authenticated that, that moment, that time. And when Jesus was on the cross and paid and said that it, it is finished, it is a complete, absolute, full payment. We don't need anything from you. We can't get anything that's worthy of anything for you to make any payment of. And our life is to be a complete 100% surrendering of Jesus. Not 10%, not 50%, not 75, 80, or 99%. It's 100%. That's the hard part. 
for my whole life is to be committed to Christ and I keep nothing for myself. I surrender everything. We sing the song, I surrender all. Do we really know what the words actually mean? I surrender all. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. It's all of what God has done and will continue to do. So when someone comes to you and says, if you die tonight, and that's a real high possibility, folks, and Jesus says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your response be? Works? Or Jesus, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do. I bring nothing to the table. That is the most amazing thing that I just can't get. Normally you and I are looking for a basic exchange rate, right? You work eight hours a day, you get X number of dollars you know, per hour, right? And you get a paycheck, right? You get an exchange. The most amazing thing that we see is I give absolutely nothing to God and I get absolutely everything. That's a really weird exchange rate, isn't it? But that's God. I don't give anything. I have nothing to give. There's no value here. I have a blank piece of paper and that's nothing. That's not an exchange. But Jesus gave it all. I have exchanged my full unrighteousness, which is nothing, for his righteousness. That's the substitutionary work of Christ. He did that on the cross for me. So again, as we've gone through John 6, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Look, core down into the center. Look at the responses that you've had under pressure. Is it the work of God inside your life bubbling up or your own flesh responding? That's the key key issue. Let's pray. Father, help us to continually look at you as the source. Help us to take the opportunities of pressure and trials that do hit our life. Help us to see clearly what you're bubbling up from the inside. What is there? Is it us? We have anger issues. What's the real core issue? It's inside the heart. Is it redeemed? Is it saved? Is it washed clean? I have other issues. What, what's the core? What's going on? God, help us to see these things. See the depths of our life. Help us to see it now before it's too late. Help us to see it now and not be standing in front of you in the next moment trying to come up with some kind of human response. It's all about you, Jesus, and it's all what you've done. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your provision that saves us. We love you so much and so appreciate that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice. We love you and so seek you for all aspects of our life in all ways. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.